Good morning. So Judd's gone. Now we're going to talk about him because he can't do anything. I've got a list here of things I've been wanting to say. No, I'm just kidding. No, I actually texted him. He texted me this morning saying, praying for you. Uh, Lord, be with me, Ben. And uh, I texted him back. So if you don't know, he's on a sabbatical. Um, and uh, he's with the family. So thankful for that, to have, get, let him have the opportunity to go and just kind of regroup and pray for this next season. Um, it's once every seven years. He's been here seven years. So um, I'm thankful he's, he's trusted and allowed me and some of the guys to, to share um, some of God's word here. And so if you have your Bibles, want to get right into it, turn to Psalm chapter 120. Um, as you're turning, um, I'll kind of explain what we're going to be doing, and I will open up in prayer before anything. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you again because you've allowed us to, to be here. You're sovereign. You're in control. And um, we thank you for the opportunity to, to be in a place, Lord, to, to worship together as a family. And Lord, we lift up the Brumleys right now, Lord. We, we do ask that you'd be with them wherever they're at, Lord. We ask that you'd protect them, that you'd keep them safe. And Lord, we ask that you would just speak to them as a, they're together as a family. We ask that you'd be with the kids and that um, you'd keep all sickness away from them and uh, they would enjoy this time of refreshing. And Lord, I pray that you'd open up our hearts, open my heart, Lord, to receive what you want. And um, we're so thankful, God. And we love you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. So, as we are in chapter 120 of Psalm, I wanted to title this message today, A Desperate Prayer in a Difficult World. How many of you guys believe in prayer, right? Show of hands. We all believe in prayer. How many of you guys believe that this is a difficult world? It's almost like more hands went up there. It's like, yes, this is a difficult world. I agree. So, I want to talk a little bit about this chapter, and, or a lot about this chapter, but what does this summer hold together? What we're going to be doing, just to kind of explain, this is week one of Judd's sabbatical. Um, we're going to be going through the Psalms of Ascent, which is chapter 120 all the way to 134. So we've got 15 uh, speakers coming up, and, and we're going to be walking through the Psalms of Ascent this whole summer. And today I have the opportunity to begin the Psalms of Ascent with chapter 120, so the question is, why are the Psalms so important to us? Psalms are very rock, right? Very real. We look at Psalm 51 where, where David is just um, saying a prayer. He's saying, create in me a clean heart, O God. Don't cast me away, right? It's a very real prayer. He's saying, God, I've, I've screwed up. I need you. Please don't turn your back. Please don't cast me away. I deserve it, all this. But create in me a clean heart. Change me. Change my life. I need you. And originally, these 150 psalms or poems were meant to be sung by lyres, flutes, horns, and cymbals. I asked Clyde and the gang to bring that, but they decided not to. Apparently, they, they didn't have those instruments with them. But over the centuries, scholars have actually debated over categorizing the psalms. They fall into different types of hymns. Some are laments, some are praises, some are psalms of remembrance, celebration of God's law, some are wisdom. And some are expressions of confidence in God. And so 
the historical content of the Psalms of Ascent as we get into this is the Psalms of Ascent, right? Going up, ascending, going up. These Psalms were used during the pilgrims on their way up to the temple at Jerusalem at the three feasts. First passage we're going to look at before we look at chapter 120 is Deuteronomy 16, 16. It should be up there. It says, three times a year, all the males shall appear before the Lord, your God, and the place that he will choose at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty handed. And so here are the three, here are the three feasts that they would go and they would do this pilgrimage, and along the way, they would read the Psalms of Ascent, 120 all the way to 134. And we're going to look at how the journey started. Again, I, I titled this, A Desperate Prayer in a Difficult World. Desperation. I mean, how many of you guys have ever been desperate for something? I mean, really desperate. Not just, I want it, but I, I'm desperate. You know, going to Bible college in Santa Cruz, I had the great opportunity to surf. If you don't know anything about Santa Cruz... It's a, it's a very difficult place to surf and um, huge waves. And there's a place called Mavericks where the waves get over 100 feet tall. I never surfed that. Don't worry. I surfed the little guys, 8 to 10 feet. And, and one of the things that they teach you as you're starting out, they say, when you get thrown off, not if you get thrown off, but when you get thrown off and you get slammed by the waves, you're going to be caught in this thing called the wash where you're just going to be tumbling up and down. You're not going to know which way is up, which way is down, which way is left, right, all you're doing is you're going with it and you're covering your face because you don't want your surfboard or a rock hitting you right in the face. And so they say one thing. They say, do not fight the wash. Just go with it. And it, it requires a lot of discipline because at some point you get to, to this place where you can't breathe and you've been under and you're, you're battling with your mind and you're saying, don't, don't fight it. Just go with it. Just go with it. And a couple times I got to the point where I just fought. I knew against, because the reason is you're fighting and for all you know, you're pushing yourself further down. And so I said, I don't care. I just got to fight. And you come up and you take this breath of fresh air and it's a breath of desperation, right? That's what I mean by, by a desperation. Something where if you've ever choked on something while you're eating and you get that first breath, it's desperation. And you begin to cry. My kids have done that. And so... Here we're going to see desperation at its fullest. And we're also going to see a difficult world. I think we can both relate to those things. A desperation and a difficult world. You know, in Psalm 120, he starts by saying, In my distress. Those are the first three words he says. And so, I'm going to fast forward a little bit to 134, the very end of chapter 134, he says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So here you got this journey beginning, right? Psalm 120, where the first thing he says is, In my distress. And we fast forward to the very end where he says, He who made heaven and earth. It's quite the difference. And together this summer, we're going to walk through that together. We're going to see the Psalms of Ascent. I encourage you to read it with us. And we're going to see this pilgrimage. And so a desperate prayer in a difficult world. He starts out chapter one or chapter 120, verse 1, by saying this. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. Again, he's starting his pilgrimage with a very honest 
situation. He's very honest about his situation. He's saying, in my distress. It's the beginning of his journey, and he says, in my distress. I remember talking to um, a friend of mine, missionary, a lot of you know him, Eric Wardell. He was getting ready to go to Alaska. He said, we got to Fort Collins, we passed, and our car broke down. I mean, and it broke down, and everything was piled on. The kids were on the side of the road, and we were just waiting to get it fixed, and it was miserable. It's this journey that begins, and if you've got kids, you know what that's like. You're ready for a camping trip. You're getting ready for an event. You're getting ready for, to visit grandma, grandpa somewhere, and your kid throws up, or they get sick. Something happens. It's like, really, this is how my journey is going to start? And here the psalmist would say, this is the beginning, in my distress. Basically saying, God, journey hasn't started, but I need your help right now. I've just put my sandals on. I've just packed my food. I've just stepped out the door, and here we go. This is how it's going to start. And I look at that. Man, that's a very honest and real three words that he says, in my distress. And I wonder, are, are we honest that way? Are we like the psalmist here in chapter 120? Do we speak honestly to God in prayer? Now, we all know that God hears us. He, the word says that he knows the number of hairs we have on his head. Some have less than others. But we know that he knows what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're doing when we're alone. And yet when we go to prayer, in prayer, are we honest with him? Are we vulnerable with him? Do we speak honestly to each other? As Christians, do we feel like we need to act or be a certain way coming in? Do we put on our best clothes and, and come just to have an appearance? You know, the world isn't looking for perfection in Christians, right? They're looking for authenticity. Maybe some of you this week were asked, how you doing? And you, you guys straight up lied. You said, oh, I'm doing great. Doing great. Maybe this morning... Brian Risky or someone greeted you, hey, good morning, good to see you. And you said, good to see you. How you doing? Pretty good. And really deep down, you wish you could be like the psalmist and say, no, life's pretty bad right now. I'm actually not very happy. I'm dealing with bitterness. I'm dealing with anger. I'm dealing with stress. I'm dealing with frustration. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I don't understand why God is doing this. I don't understand why my journey's just beginning. It seems like summer's starting and all of a sudden, boom, things are going bad. But you don't. You say, oh, things are great. Because we have to act a certain way, right? And here in, the psalmist would say, in my distress, here we go. Well, it's okay, I want you to know, to feel that way. It's okay to, to be like, ah, oh, life is bad right now. What's not okay is to sulk in it. It's to say, this is it. This is my life. I've been cursed. You know, First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because... He cares for you. Psalm 147, verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You know, a lot of us feel this way. We feel hurt, angry, frustrated, rejected, bitter. And we would begin to say, Oh, God, I can't go to you. Oh, we have this pity on ourselves, this self-pity of, I can't go to God, Lord. And others would come and say, it's okay, you, you know, come on, you, you can do it. Really what we should be saying is, quit being prideful. Quit being prideful and sulking in your situation, and, and really it is a form of pride. I read an article a while back that it was called the pride of self-arrogance, or self-pity, excuse me, the pride of self-pity. 
It's this pride in you says, basically saying, God, you, I know your word says cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I know the word says that, but I'm not going to cast my anxieties on you because I'm going to deal with it because I know better than you because I have better control of my life than you do. I'm not going to give you my hurt. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to do it myself. That's pride. That's pride. That's arrogance. And so in my distress, when we are feeling that way, when we're feeling frustrated and feeling all those things, it's okay. But like I said, it's not okay to hold on to it and sulk in it. And so are we honest? This life will be difficult. As followers of Christ, we don't have a free ticket, right? We know that life will come at us, and whether you're, you're a follower of Christ or not, life will happen and we'll face trials, we'll face difficult times. But as followers of Christ, we know where our strength comes from. We know who we can run to. John 16, 33 says this. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you might have tribulations, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Might have, right? You just might. Maybe in this world you might have. No, it says you will have. From the very get-go, from birth, you're all nice and comfy in mom's womb. All of a sudden, you come out to light. It's cold. It's not good. Doctor's spanking your booty. You're crying. You're like, put me back in. What's going on here? You're being held upside down. Why is everything upside down? What's this bright light doing? Why are you scrubbing my head? Why are you washing me? Why are you doing all this stuff? I was nice and comfy in there. I was getting eaten all the time. I was warm. You start life in this distressful situation, right? He doesn't say you might have tribulation. He says you will have tribulation. The real question is, how are we going to react to that, right? How are we going to react to these stressful and difficult situations in life? The good news is we know if we're on the winning team or losing team as followers of Christ. I love that. In, in 1633, he finishes by saying, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I win. I win, is what Christ says. We see in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. As the psalmist begins his pilgrimage, he's doing good. He's getting ready. He's going up to Jerusalem. They're going to go worship, and all of a sudden, boom, things don't go according to plan. In my distress, right? He's doing good and trouble arises. Isn't it even sometimes more discouraging when you're doing good and things happen? Like you've been praying, you've been going to church, you've been going to small groups, you've been uh, praying for Judd, the elders, your church members, you've been serving your community, you've been loving people, you've been doing an extra good job on your finances, you've been tithing, you've been doing all these good things. And then all of a sudden, life happens. At least if you were doing bad, you're like, oh, I deserve that, which is really arrogance and pride. But you could kind of go away with, ah, oh, well, I deserve that because I wasn't doing this and this. But it says, do not grow weary when you're doing good. And the psalmist here tells us that he is in distress. He feels trapped. And for that reason, the reason he feels trapped is because of others' words. 
And we, even, we haven't even gotten into 120. We've gotten into the first three verses, and there's a lot there. In my distress, he's dealing with lies. He's dealing with slander. You know, this presidential race, you don't have to watch the news much to be like, man, their, their whole campaign is, is how can I smear the other person? Maybe what lies or half-truths can I throw out there to, to kind of make it look better in my favor, right? It doesn't matter if it's 100% truth. As long as people get a little bit, they're not going to really do the research. They're going to just kind of take my word for it. Well, here the psalmist is dealing with something similar. The result of being on the receiving end of lies can leave you stuck or imprisoned. I mean, can you imagine if somebody was out there telling lies about you, spreading lies about your family, telling lies, just running your, your name in the mud, your character, what you do on your days off, and you had no idea who it was, how would you feel? You'd feel imprisoned. You'd feel helpless. You'd feel like you couldn't do anything, right? And the psalmist here says that. He goes, in my distress, that's what, he, that's what he's feeling. But we look at his reaction. We look at his reaction and, and what he does. But first I want to ask and tell you, what, or I want to tell you what he doesn't do. The first thing he doesn't do, as you look at verse 1, he doesn't vent immediately to his friends. He doesn't say, time out, stop the journey. I'm going to go talk to my buddies. I'm going to go tell them what's going on. You know, I heard this story some years ago. I was at a conference and as a pastor, a uh, pretty well-known pastor. He has his own radio show. Um, he's a believer and uh, he was talking about one of his associate pastors had actually stolen money in the church. And he was like, you're fired. He fired him. And he was looking for this guy. He wanted to find him because he wanted to get the money back and he had stolen a lot of money. And uh, this pastor has an incredible testimony. He was actually part of the, uh, he was in a Mexican gang and he worked in new guys in the Mexican mafia. And so he called a buddy of his and said, hey, I need you to find this pastor for me. I need to get a hold of him. And he hung up. He's like, okay, boom. And then he realized in the Mexican mafia, when you say, I need you to go look for a guy, it means I need you to whack this guy. I need you to take him out. So here's this well-known pastor at a church, loves the Lord, calls a buddy, just wants him to literally find him so that he can go talk to him to be like, give me my money back. And he's put a hit, lit, hit, this, a hit on this guy. And he's stressing out and he's going crazy. And now he's trying to get a hold of this ex-pastor to try to say, dude, come to me. I want to save your life now because you got guys after you. And so you could imagine the stress he was under. Finally, he gets, a, he gets a hold of him, and obviously he's still fired, but he talked about that and said, man, the first thing I did was I just, I talked to a friend of mine. The psalmist doesn't do that. He doesn't run to his friends and, 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 and vent. He doesn't even tell his pastor or elders or staff. Some of us have that immediate reaction. Something goes wrong. We need to talk to a pastor or an elder or someone who, who we confide in. And that's great. Hear my heart on that. That's great. But that's not what the psalmist does. He doesn't go to his small group. Again, hear my heart. That's why we have small groups, to live life together, to, to, to be authentic with each other. But that's not what the first thing he does. And this might shock some of you. He doesn't even post it on Facebook. We all know someone who's posted, ah, so angry, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish there was an unlike button, you know? It's like, 
But first and foremost, the, the very first thing he does, he says, in my distress, so we know he's stressed. He's in a situation where he feels imprisoned. He feels trapped. He says, I called to the Lord and he answered me. He has a deep understanding that he needs God in this situation. And God's the only one who can answer his prayer. He's the only one that could help him. Again, hear my heart. I'm not saying don't speak to friends. Don't run to Judd or the elders or a small group or someone who's your accountability partner. But the heart is go to God first in those situations. I mean, think about times in your life that you felt this way, hurt, imprisoned, in distress. What was your immediate reaction? I know mine often was venting, frustrated, going to friends, going to small groups, doing all that that the psalmist tells us, hey, first and foremost, go to God. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. See, the psalmist here shows us how he reacted. He called to the Lord and he answered me. Not answering me or will answer me. He answered me. He answered me. So here he's telling us about his past prayers. So apparently he's gone through a situation like this. He's run to God and, and said, Lord, I need you. I need you to answer my prayers. The psalmist acknowledges his previous prayers that have been answered. And he reminds himself of previous prayers and distressful situations. This is how we ought to pray. See, because ultimately we're going to, no, we know that this is a difficult world. We're going to face trials, right? Difficult times. The question isn't whether we're going to. It's what are we going to do? How are we going to react? Are we going to run to God or are we going to run from God? In verse 2, he says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Here in the next few verses, we're going to see something interesting. There's two prayers specifically that he prays. One is the prayer for a rescue and the prayer for retribution. Oh, I want to get back at them. You're going to get it. You are going to get it. And so the first prayer is a prayer for rescue. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. We know he's in a distressful situation. We know that he's come to God. And now... He's dealing with someone who's a professional, slandering, dragging his name in the mud. He's dealing with the well-trained sniper. You know, I was watching this. I love the History Channel. I like watching anything, documentaries, things like that. And um, I consider myself a bit of a sniper as of last year with my elk. <laughs> um, but, man, I'll tell you, I, I saw this in, in, in 2002. There was a sniper that had the longest um, confirmed shot kill in history. How many, how, how, how would you guess that distance would be? 5,000 yards. Maybe not. I don't know what that is in miles. But the farthest at that point was a mile and a half. A mile and a half sniper shot. Watched, we've, some of us have watched the movie American Sniper and you're like, oh, I can do that. But I want to talk to you about a sniper from 2009. His name is Corporal Craig Harrison. It was in the mountains of Afghanistan and 
he's uh, on, a, on a ridge and there was a, a mission that his soldiers were in charge of and it was to eliminate machine gun teams. And as they're walking through the fields and the mountains of Afghanistan, Taliban come and begin to shoot them and begin to, with machine guns, hold them down, pin them down, and they're outnumbered. And they're, they know they're, they're fighting back. And from across the ridge, Corporal Craig Harrison saw the ambush. And each, each sniper, if you're familiar with snipers, they have a spotter, a guy who does the calculations and who, who is in charge of telling them where to shoot. And so from across the ridge, 2,707 yards, 1.54 miles. Just to give you an idea, that's 27 football fields away. He sees this ambush. And so he's like, I'm going to take the shot. My guys are going to die if if I don't do anything, and that's why I'm here. My job is to protect my guys. The spotter's job is to protect the sniper at all costs. And so... It's up to him to help. And so here he is, um, the spotter making calculations. As I was looking at this, they said there's many factors in taking a shot this far. You have to take into account the ambient air temperature, the barometric pressure, spin drift of the bullet, the wind change along the way. The wind change might be different 20 feet, 100 feet, 1,000 feet, 1,500 feet, crosswinds. You have to take all that into account. The bullet time is actually about four seconds in the air. And it's long enough, they said, for the rotation of the earth to affect the bullet. Now think about that. So as he takes the first shot, second shot, third shot, he missed. But he missed, and the whole time they're giving calculations of where to shoot. And he sees the two machine guys pinning down the, 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 his soldiers And the spotter tells him, aim six feet high and 20 inches to the left. Now think about that. And so you see the scope, six feet high, 20 inches to the left. He shoots, direct hit, takes out one Taliban soldier. Second Taliban soldier jumps where where the first soldier was, begins to shoot. He takes another shot, dead hit. Eliminated two Taliban soldiers. Two confirmed kills, longest sniper shot in history, 1.54 miles. Taking all those calculations into account, it has to be nothing short of exact pinpoint accuracy. And so here the psalmist, in a sense, is dealing with a professional sniper. Here's a guy who's, who's starting his journey, and there's someone slandering him, throwing lies, accurate deadly lies meant to destroy him as deadly as a sniper again these aren't just oh you know i i saw so-and-so washing his car and he didn't use the right soap these are lies to meant to destroy right it's a very painful and serious situation that he's dealing with and so here the psalmist is saying help Please, Lord, help. It's a desperate prayer. He says, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. He searches for someone outside of his own strength, right? As we look at Matthew, and we move forward to Matthew chapter 14, verse 24 through 33. A lot of us are familiar with this passage. He says, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land 
beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to him, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took him, took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And so here Peter's walking on water, begins to see the circumstances around him, and begins to sink. And immediately cries out, Lord, a desperate prayer, save me. It's a pretty simple prayer. I'm sure we've all been in those situations where, where life's difficult and the only thing you can pray is help. I've literally spent time praying and, and the only thing I could pray was, Lord, help, 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 help. And here, Peter's drowning and he says, Lord, save me. And he does. It's a desperate prayer. And here we see the psalmist saying that, deliver me from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Do words really matter? Some of you might say, well, it's just, they're just words, right? You're starting your journey. You're going to Jerusalem. So what? People are talking about you. Not a big deal. We've all heard the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's definitely not true, right? I've heard of people who, who were verbally and physically abused by, by a relative, and, and they've said, you know, physically it hurt but I would rather much live with the physical bruises than the words that were said to me growing up because the words will stay with you forever. Bruises will heal. We've all, we've all been affected by words. You know, if you've been called dumb, lazy, ignorant, dumb, worthless growing up, that stays with you. And if not dealt with, if not brought before the Lord, your entire life can be shaped by those words, right? And so words do matter. And here the, de- the psalmist desperately cries out for deliverance. He's saying, God, help me. And that was a prayer of desperation. The second prayer he, he, he says in verse 3 and 4 is a prayer for des- retribution, vengeance. Man, you're going to get it. And so here we already begin to see this, 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 this kind of roller coaster, Right? He starts with, in my distress. And then he talks about the Lord answering his prayers. And then he talks about now how, Lord, you're going to, I need your prayer, or I need to desperately pray to you, and I need you to answer. And now we see him going back down and saying, oh, you're going to get it. I'm sure none of us know what that feels like, right? This little emotional roller coaster when people hurt you. You're angry. You're sad. You forgive them. Then you're angry again. Then you forgive them. Then you're angry. Then you're really angry. Then you're like, I'm healed. I've forgotten all about it. Then something happens, and then all of a sudden you're angry again. 
In verse three, he says this, what shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Here, man, I love the Psalms because they're so raw, they're so real, very emotional, and they kind of just share our heart. And here we see the psalmist's emotion at its finest. You know, my, my son, Josiah, cute little kid, but about three, four months ago, he started this thing where, you know, he'll try to open a refrigerator and he grabs all the things on the bottom and he begins to pull them out. And we say, sigh, no, don't do it. And then he does it. So what do we do? We spank his little hand and then we say, don't. And then he opens it. And so then we close it and we walk away and he gets so mad that he turns around and he charges you. Ah! It's like Chucky. I'm like, man, this kid, who raised you? You know, don't just, you stinking sinner. This little kid at a year and a half charges you. Just emotionally reacts. Obviously, he's not thinking about anything other than I'm going to get you because you told me don't do this. And he just attacks. And he grabs onto your leg. And I have to spank his little hand as I'm laughing because it's the cutest thing ever. But here he is just showing raw emotion, going after you. I think about how many times we've acted that way, right? We've reacted out of emotion and just gone for it. And you're so angry with someone or something that you just react. This is how the psalmist feels. He says, What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Remember, the Psalms here, it's not written. The psalmist, it didn't write it to the guy lying, doing the lying. He's not writing it to him. It's written by the victim of the lying. He's venting to God. He's telling God, this is how I feel. And so do you want to know what's going to happen to you, you lying tongue? Do you guys want to know is what he's saying. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you. He says, a warrior's sharp arrows. Your judgment's going to be like nothing short of a sharp arrow. Now, some of you are hunters, some of you are bow hunters, um, and you know what that entails. You know that when you look at your arrow, you make sure that it is sharp, not just sharp, razor sharp. You make sure that that is clean so that it has the perfect shot so that nothing can affect it other than your ability. It's got to be pinpoint accurate. When that arrow is shot, it's shot in a vital place, and it's spinning. And as it's spinning, it's cutting, and it's doing a lot of damage. It's a painful way to die, and that's why you do it accurately so you shoot your animal quickly, right? It's pretty disturbing. But you see, that's, that's not where the psalmist is saying he doesn't say, this is what you're going to get, you guys who are, trying to, who are slandering and lying about me. He doesn't just say, you're going to get an arrow thrown at you. He's like, how can I make it worse? How can, what can hurt more than just a deadly, sharp arrow? He says, it's going to have glowing coals of the broom tree. See, a broom tree, I'll show you a picture right here. It's a large desert shrub. The roots are actually good for fuel and they provide charcoal when burned, provide shade. But it's been said that when this burns, it's an intense 
fiery heat. So as if being shot by an arrow was not enough, the psalmist adds this to it. Sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. I mean, does that give you a little bit of insight of what kind of raw emotion this psalmist feels because of the line that's happening? It should, right? It gives us an insight of how he feels and how he, he wants to react and how he wants to, to judgment to come to these men. Have you ever felt this way? Where you didn't want someone, you didn't just want vengeance from the Lord, right? It's not, Lord, they've sinned against me, but you're going to deal with it. No, it's, Lord, I know you're going to deal with it, but I want to deal with it right now too on earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something, right? It's this, what can cause them pain now? And so here the psalmist is angry. And then the psalms, in regards to the psalms, author Josh Moody says this, and I read this and I thought, man, this is, this is it right here. He says, they're not only the language of the soul, the spirituality of the heart. They are not just a spiritual form of psychotherapy. They are theotherapy, which is a treatment of illness or disease by prayer. He says, they are the place where the objective doctrine combines with the subjective experience and the question that is combustible, fire raises, are all answered at the cross of Jesus. Where love and justice meet, let this psalm take you there. Take all the bitterness you've swallowed over time as you have repay, replayed in your heart the nasty things that have been said about you and leave it in God's hands. Later, he adds, this is the journey of forgiveness. And the reality is this, is some of us have been hurt. And some of us maybe are dealing with this kind of hurt right now. Someone's hurt you. And this is your journey right now of forgiveness. We look at the psalmist starting his journey in my distress, right? And then he's good. And now he's angry. And it's this up and down emotion. You know, I've been on this journey before. And ultimately, I think it's important to remember just what the psalmist is, is doing. He's, he's leaving it ultimately in God's hands. He's saying, you're in control. You know, 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 120 says this, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So here's the grand finale of the chapter, the seven verses. It's a very honest emotion. In verse 5, he says, Woe to me. Basically, he's saying, Poor me. <laughs> Poor me. You're like, Really, dude? You started in my distress. You've seen God answer your prayers. You're okay. And now you want arrows, fiery arrows to go into them. And now you're feeling sorry for yourself. And that's fine. Again, it's his journey through this pain. He's on the right road. He's moving forward, right, in healing. He's not there yet. And I think it's exciting as we go through the, the Psalms of Ascent, we're going to go through this story. We're going to ultimately, 
as I shared before, get to the point of chapter 134, where he says, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. I think we can all relate to this psalm here. And as Christians, we often want the quick fix, right? We don't want to deal with this this journey of sanctification, of lifelong journey of being shaped and molded by God. We want it now. And the psalmist is, is in that situation. He's, he's healing, but he's going through a journey. He says that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Here are two places far distant from Israel. Those lying about him here were, were the Philistines and the barbarians, and, and he's angry and he knows who they are. And he says in verse 6, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. He's like, man, I've been here too long among those who hate peace. I'm done. He's facing ups and downs. But he does make some discoveries along his journey. He's prayed. He's grown, right? And in verse 7, the last verse says this. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Ultimately, he's leaving it up to God to deal with it. He's like, I'm for peace, and they're for war. What can I learn from 120, Psalm 120? I think it's this. It's okay to be in distress, right? We can be very honest with each other. I had a pastor once who, who was sharing, and he was at church, and somebody asked, hey, pastor, how you doing? He said, not good. And they were walking away, and they turned around and said, what? He goes, I'm just kidding. I just want to hear if you're listening. I'd encourage you, the next time you ask someone how they're doing, be prepared for a long conversation. Let's be honest with each other. Let's really share how we're doing. Let's really share our heart and what we're going through. The second thing is we need to run to God in prayer. It's okay to do all the other things we talked about. That's why we do them, right? We're a body of believers. We're a family. We depend on each other. And even as a husband and wife, there's times that I want to run to Cameron and vent and tell her and vice versa. But ultimately, she's not going to bring me healing. She's not going to bring me peace. She's not going to bring me deliverance, right? It's ultimately the Lord. So that needs to be our, our focus. And thirdly, we got to just leave it to God, like the psalmist did. God, I'm in this journey. I'm going to go through ups and downs. People hurt me. I'm for peace. Ultimately, you're in control. And so with that, we'll close in prayer. And we'll pass out the elements as we take communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, because you're so good to us even in those moments when we don't understand why. Lord, we know that life's difficult. And Lord, there's, there's moments of desperation, and moments of desperate prayers. And you said that we will face trials, Lord. And Lord, I pray that in those moments that we would learn to trust you, that we would run to you as the psalmist did here. 
as some of us, Lord, are, are beginning our journey today, we've been doing good, Lord, and already it seems like there's difficulty. Lord, I pray we'd be encouraged, Lord, that we ultimately know that we win, that you have overcome the world, that we can run to you, Lord. And so, God, we ask that you would heal the brokenhearted, Lord. I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would come to know you. They would pray in their heart and they would make a decision to put their trust in you. Because as the psalmist, Lord, he can't do it on his own and neither can we. We're not perfect, Lord, but we, we serve a perfect God. And so we ask that you would be with us today. In your name, amen.